Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today. With Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at the Yoga Hour at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and today I'll be sharing with you some insights and practices from the ancient system of Kriya Yoga, philosophy and practice for spiritually conscious, fulfilled living today. Yoga is, of course, a very familiar word to people, but not everyone understands it as a philosophy and practice beyond um, physical asana, but we are talking about yoga as union or unity, bringing our attention and our awareness uh, to consciously abide in our essential spiritual nature, knowing the truth of what we are and then living in harmony with that truth. And today's topic is the dark night of the soul and the spiritual awakening process. Um, It's so helpful to know that there are many uh, twists and turns on this mystical path of spiritual awakening. Um, It's wonderful when we feel that we're making progress, but there are also times when when we don't think we are or we think we're going backwards and we have a lot of despair about how far we have yet to go. You know, it just doesn't happen fast enough. And um, today, for our solace and our delight, we're joined by Mirabai Star, author of a very fresh, accessible, and inspiring translation of the mystic classic, Dark Night of the Soul by St. John of the Cross. So we're going to look at what that dark night of the soul really is and how we can find some support in in the midst of uh, the challenges on our path. In addition to Dark Night of the Soul, Mirabai is the author of several critically acclaimed new translations of the mystics, including one uh, new one just out, Julian of Norwich. She taught Um, philosophy and religious studies for 20 years at the University of New Mexico and now is speaking and teaching nationally and internationally on the teachings of the mystics, contemplative practice, and also um, with great insight into grief as it can um, be part of our spiritual path. And she also blogs for Huffington Post. You can find out more about Mirabai at her website, Mirabai Star, M-I-R-A-B-A-I, Star with two R's. S-T-A-R-R-M-I-R-A-B-I-A-S-T-A-R-R.com. Welcome, Mirabai. I'm so delighted to be having this conversation with you today. Thank you, Yogacharya. I'm so honored that you invited me because I love, I love the connection between these classic Christian wisdom teachings and yoga. Oh, 
it's it's really quite um, delicious and supportive of our path. So um, before we begin our conversation, let's just take a moment um, for short meditation, just a little centering before we begin. Let's begin with our breath, just being aware of breathing in, breathing out, coming into this moment, awake, aware, recalling Divine Omnipresence, the one reality called by many names that is the source, the substance, the support of all that is. So right where we are right now, we remember that this Divine Essence is present. And using our breath, we simply move our attention from the periphery of our awareness into the depth. So as you breathe in, just feel that you're pulling your attention within, diving into the depths of your being and breathing out, letting go of any stress, any strain, any distraction. Breathing in, dive in, breathing out, let go. It only takes a moment to center ourselves like that in divine remembrance, to touch the peace of the soul within us, to invite it now to pervade the mental field and the physical body. Let us intend to abide in that peace throughout our day today and let it overflow as a blessing for all beings everywhere. Swami Vivekananda wrote, there is a time for expanding and a time for contraction. Sounds a lot like Ecclesiastes, doesn't it? There's a time for expanding and a time for contraction. One provokes the other, and the other calls for the return of the first. Never are we nearer the light than when the darkness is deepest. And, you know, so many people have heard about the expression dark night of the soul and um, perhaps used it as just sort of a popular phrase without really knowing exactly what that is or how it is connected to the work of the Spanish monk John of the Cross. Uh, so let's start there, Mirabai, for listeners who are not familiar with St. John. Um, tell us about this Christian mystic and what prompted him to write uh, Dark Night of the Soul. Thank you. Well, John of the Cross was a Carmelite friar and very early on, he he became ordained as a as a priest at the age of twenty five, and by twenty five and a half, he was done. <laughs> he was ready to renounce his vows and go up into the mountains to live as a hermit and and just dedicate himself to a life of contemplative prayer because he was so disillusioned by the trappings of the church. Uh, this was sixteenth century Spain, the height of the Inquisition. John mm-hmm. of the Cross probably had. Uh, Muslim family. He was uh, from a Moorish family, so he had Muslim roots, which were totally unacceptable in Catholic Spain at the time. Uh, And he encountered around that time Teresa of Avila, St. Teresa of Avila, who became his mentor. When they met, he was 25 and she was 52. And she was completely dedicated to reforming the Church, particularly the Carmelite Order, and returning it to its yogic roots, if I may, (laughs) its its connection to deep contemplative practice, silence, solitude, simplicity, and and direct connection with the Mm. sacred. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you say that, Mirabai, I think, oh, we should do another program on Teresa of Avila because, you know, she was such an example of a contemplative in action. I mean, that, that's another conversation. But, and so she, um, she called forth something or their relationship called for something, um, in him and really in each other that, um, that stirred the depths, right? This soul friendship, this companionship. Mm-hmm. Um, Beautiful. Beautifully said. And I've often thought about writing a book on soul, famous soul companions over the, the centuries and across the cultures and religious traditions. And mm-hmm. these two definitely had one of those friendships that I think many of, of your listeners can probably relate to. That person, whether in a romantic connection or not, that person who kind of sees your soul and calls you into your depth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and those two, two had that. And, and so Teresa of Avila kind of recruited this fiery young uh, monk into her reform movement, which was, got them both in a lot of trouble. And, and John of the Cross, in fact, was imprisoned at age 29 by the mainstream Carmelites. They stuck him in a little tiny cell in a remote Carmelite monastery trying to get him out of the fray where mm-hmm. he would stop causing trouble. And and they really treated him terribly. He was truly a prisoner in this monastery. It was, the cell had been a latrine, and it was this tiny, dark, dank place with a little, little window way high above him, through which, by the way, he eventually miraculously escaped. The way he survived in prison was by composing poetry, love poems, to to a god that he no longer believed in, in the depths of his despair, but to whom he continued to reach out anyway. And mm-hmm. he committed those poems to memory because, of course, they wouldn't let him write. And that became, in many ways, his spiritual path was the path of, of poetry. It it saved his sanity, it saved his his life in many ways, and it and those poems became the, the jewels, the treasures that have come to us five hundred years later. Mm. He's he's the patron saint of poetry in the Catholic Church and and he wrote these exquisite love songs to God. And they were really <clears throat> there's a couple of things I want to say. You know, one is that, you know, even in this most horrific circumstance, um, you know, one of the things we can see is that the power of God, of, of, of life itself, of grace and consciousness itself cannot be stopped. And so, you know, here was the situation when, you know, where you would think, you know, his, his spiritual life simply could not go forward. You know, he himself was, was in despair. He, he was imprisoned, you know, within his own tradition. Um, he was treated horribly. Um, and yet the soul rises, you know, even in that situation and ultimately is victorious. And, um, so, you know, I think there's something for us to take away from that, which is, you know, there is nothing in the circumstances of our life that can hold back the blossoming of the soul, even though at times it certainly feels that way. Mm, yeah, and it's supposed to feel that way according to the mystics. You know, you, we, we're not allowed to have even a glimpse of hope in our deepest, darkest times if it is to become a truly transformational experience. Because our opinion on the matter, like everything's going to be okay, or mm-hmm. God has a plan, or any of the mm-hmm. other spiritual constructs that we've cr- created or been given to bolster ourselves in our in our darkest times, they have to all become dismantled it, mm-hmm. for it to be a truly transformational dark night of the soul experience. And I think what you're saying about no matter what, the force, the divine life force cannot be suppressed. Is, is exactly right. And John would go so, John of the Cross would go so far as to say, not only can that force not be suppressed, but that in a dark night of the soul experience, we are 
stripped of everything that stands in the way of union with that ultimate supreme reality. And so we are, we, it is more accessible mm-hmm. rather than less in a, mm-hmm. in a true dark night of the soul experience. You know, and I have thought sometimes that, you know, the process is, and you talk about that in your book, you know, that for some souls, and of course it's unique to everyone, you know, what their particular process is, but there are some universal markers along the way. And, you know, one of them seems to be that, you know, whenever we come to a place of thinking that we know God, <laughs> <laughs> and and what God is, um, uh, you know that gets removed, and um, and it's really helpful, you know, on the path to have a map. You know, I think, uh, and of course, yoga gives us one, and the mystics give us one that says, no, you know, the divine is is so much greater than anything the mind will conceive of. And, uh, and so it make, it makes sense. It's logical, <laughs> you know, even though in the midst of it, we, we don't have that logic. But standing back, we can say, well, it makes sense that every, everything that we think is going to have to be removed because the, the reality is, is greater than any of that. Exactly. And that's a gift to have that taken from us. Hmm. And, and, you know, you, you began by talking about how, how this poetry that he wrote, um, in a sense saved him and, uh, and, and has become a gift, uh, to us now through the ages. Um, but the poetry, needs uh, the commentary. <laughs> and uh, I understand from reading your book that others asked that of him because um, this is a mysterious um, path. And so, um, you know, your book has the, has the poetry and then the commentary, you know, on it that helps us see um the the deeper meaning uh, or the roadmap that that those poems that that poem in particular offered us right that's right mm-hmm. right so so john of the cross when he when he was when he escaped from prison this poem that's known as the dark night of the soul poured out of him and then you write his um his the nuns actually over whom he was confessor or for whom he was confessor begged him to explicate it in such a way that they could see it as... I mean, they understood that it was a mystical poem, even though it sounded like like an almost erotic love poem, much like the Song of Songs in the Hebrew Bible. Never mentioned God, but overflowed with this longing of the lover for, for union with the beloved. And so he wrote this, this classic prose commentary on the, on the spiritual path in which he, he really described... What he's describing is a spiritual crisis. And I think in the beginning, you were right when you said that people often misunderstand the term dark night of the soul, and they use it, they kind of throw it around very casually to refer to a very difficult life experience, like a painful divorce or the death of a loved one or something like that, which are truly powerful experiences in our lives. I am not denying the power of grief and loss. Um, however, they do not automatically qualify as dark night of the soul experiences in the in the sort of technical sense in which John uses them mm-hmm. uses that term. But they can be our our deepest darkest life experiences can become crucibles for this this alchemical transmutation of our souls that John of the Cross is referring to. But but it's this kind of um, uh, partnership between the active and the passive. Or in yoga, the way you describe this this blend of self-discipline and grace, mm-hmm. where we mm-hmm. show up for the hard work of the spiritual life, and when it becomes dry and empty, and we no longer feel that invigorating sense of connectedness to the sacred that maybe yoga used, practice used to create, we drop down into it, 
and we don't mm-hmm. try to force it, and we kind of allow the mystery to unfold without directing it, but we keep coming back to practice. That's that, is, that is such a beautiful um, insight and explanation, Mirabai, because I think... Um, the danger is great, um, you know, for a soul at that juncture, you know, without proper guidance or steadfast determination, you know, there's the potential at that juncture to say, you know what, um, this path isn't sweet anymore. <laughs> it's not working anymore. It's not working, I, yeah. I, I, need, I need to go someplace else, you know. I need right. to find, um, I, I need to find a new teacher. I need to find a new path, you know. And so um, let's talk more about that when we come back from the break. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with guest Mirabai Star. Her um, website is Mirabai Star with two R's.com. We'll be right back with you. You are listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. To support this ministry, go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Your contribution helps us broadcast messages of love and inspiration throughout the world. wellness expert, Dr. Michelle Robin on healthy living. In the game of wellness, there's some basic habits that you need to embrace in order to live a well life. In her book, Wellness on a Shoestring, Robin shows you that complete wellness of body, mind, and spirit doesn't have to cost a fortune. Client Eddie Penrice turned his health around with Dr. Robin's Seven Habits for a Healthy Life. I've got to say my body just embraced the change. Besides feeling better, looking better, thinking more clearly. Many of Robin's seven habits for a healthy life are simple and free. She offers tips and shares real stories from clients like Eddie, who've incorporated the habits into their lives and seen the results. You can make this change by being convicted that you will do it. That you don't need anyone else's assistance or help to do it. Make this the year you get healthy. Discover a low-cost, attainable path to feeling better than ever. Order wellness on a shoestring today at www.shopunity.org. Do you think you know all you want to know about the characters in the Bible? Do you know who could be called the king who loved too much? Or what it means to be a Jezebel? Or that the best love story in the Bible begins with the declared commitment of two women? The Bible's symbolic meaning can help you transform your life and discover the presence and power of God within you. Find out what these characters can teach you about your own life today by tuning into Biblical Power for Your Life. Each week, co-hosts Rev. Karen Tudor and E.J. Niles present a Bible character from a historical, cultural, psychological, and symbolic perspective. Your comments and questions are part of this lively discussion. Tune in every Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, and power up your life only at Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to The Yoga Hour. Welcome back to The Yoga Hour. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and I'm joined today by Mirabai Star, author of a beautiful and accessible uh, translation of Dark Night of the Soul. And I really want to say, you know, I, this book, and in fact, my girl gave the book to me um, yeah. years ago, which is... Um, a special blessing. You know, it just arrived in the mail <laughs> from him. I, I suspect he had read it and found it really useful and sent it on to me. And so it had been years since I read it and I reread it, um, for the program today. And, uh, I was telling Mirabai, uh, before we began that, 
you know, it was like reading something totally fresh and new um, because I'm in a different place myself. But I want to tell the listeners, if you have not read her translation, you must because her background with yoga and interspirituality makes this text completely um, accessible it, and it's so uh, rich for the modern reader. If you tried reading other translations of Dark Night of the Soul, which I had in the past and found them um, um, uh, inspiring but not quite accessible, um, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with her version. Um, so back to our conversation, we've been talking about the Dark Night of the Soul and really a in a sense of how it is a path of healing, um, the way yoga sees healing as being restored to wholeness, um, being uh, transformed um, in the sense of uh, allowing our innate divine potential to fully blossom. And Mirabai, your translation of Dark Night indicates that souls begin to enter this dark night, um, you know, through the pathway of grace. You know, God begins to draw them forth from the state of beginners and places them in the state of adepts, the true contemplatives. And um, so it's helpful to remember that this um, path of transformation is really a path of preparing uh, us for contemplation, or I, I think when I read it, I look at the, the samadhi, mm-hmm. uh, this oneness uh, with God. And, uh, you know, I could totally relate the first time I read it. And once again, looking at some of the characteristics of uh, being a beginner on the spiritual path, <laughs> which, you know, are so much a part of that first stage of um, transformation. So we start with some of the delights of being a spiritual beginner, which then begin to be removed. So tell us a little bit about that. Mm, okay, well, you know, the, the mystical life is so much about paradox, isn't it? It's, it's about yeah. the, the emptiness that is fullness and the separation that is union. I think of, you know, yoga means union, right? That's the, that's the meaning of the, of the term, and the path of yoga is the path to union, which is really from, you know, from the ancient Vedantic standpoint is, is just what we already are and have and always have been. Um, and so I think it's similar with John of the Cross that that union with God is is the goal of the spiritual life, but it's also our birthright and it's also the way things naturally are and we have gotten kind of caught up in this false sense of separation. So so yeah, the the trajectory is something like like this in the Early in our spiritual lives, when we first really seriously start on a spiritual path, we're motivated by the spiritual goodies we get from practice. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're tasty and alluring, and and they should be. That's there's nothing wrong with that. You know that when we we do practices like meditation, like chanting, like asanas, or whatever it may be in in the yogic tradition and other traditions maybe singing the hymns in church or, or doing the Sufi prayers in the Islamic tradition or, or um, the practicing Shabbat in the Jewish tradition, which could be such a deep, holy thing to observe the Sabbath. Whatever the practices might be, they, they have this uh, way of filling our hearts with a sense of, of the presence of mm-hmm. the sacred, of the mm-hmm. divine. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's we want more, <laughs> and yeah. yeah. And then, you know, and then th- this, this particular phase, you know, then I think what can happen and what, and what the innate, um, power of the divine self, you know, um, in a sense, we could say resists or, you know, pulls us into the depths rather than letting us get too far in that, um, because that can become its own trapping, right? You know, we start to think, well, okay, I'm holy now, <laughs> which back to the paradox, back to the paradox, of course we are, but it's not, it's not from that ego, um, 
standpoint, you know, like I'm holy and I'm holier than everybody else. And, um, you know, sometimes I think of this as the prayer shawl, um, phase where, you know, we can get into the outer trappings of it, you know, mm-hmm. um, is that like the ego puts on a prayer shawl and yeah. says, you know, um, this is, I love this spiritual life. I love this spiritual path. And, you know, and at that time we do, we are getting encouragements. You know, a lot of times we're having inner experiences and meditation and, um, it all feels absolutely wonderful. And it's kind of like the beginning of a romance, isn't it? You know, and, yes, exactly. and, <laughs> and then there's the long-term commitment. <laughs> Right. That's that's actually a really good analogy because, you know, I once read an interview with Leonard Cohen, who, you know, not only a brilliant, poetic singer-songwriter, but he's also a Zen Zen monk. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. he was talking about relationships, romantic relationships, and, and how popular psychology tells us that in a romantic relationship, when we fall in love, we're projecting onto the sort of blank screen of the other person all of our... Uh, kind of unhealed longings and desires and and making them uh, the the source of the false source of of our heart's deepest desire, and that when we fall out of love, what's happening is that illusion is falling away, and we're seeing the real person. And he said it's really the opposite. Uh, when you fall in love, he says, you're seeing truly into the soul of your beloved. And when you fall out of love, is when the veil drops and is obscured by your own unhealed stuff. And and I love that, and I think it's similar in the paradox of the dark night of the soul, because what's happening, according to John of the Cross, when when our spiritual life begins to feel dry and empty, which is the beginning of what he calls the dark night of the soul, that spiritual crisis, what's happening is we're being divested of our attachments to the way we felt the spiritual life was supposed to be so that we can have a direct encounter with the divine, unmediated mm-hmm. through our own attachments and concepts. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of like what, what Leonard Cohen was talking about with, with falling in love. And when you have those early juicy spiritual experiences, you are having, according to John, some true encounter with the sacred. But when you become attached to the way it has felt, what he calls drinking from the divine breast, then you you get stopped in your spiritual mm-hmm. life. You need mm-hmm. to be weaned eventually from those uh, consolations, he calls them, in order to stand on your own spiritual feet and have a, a direct, mature encounter with with the divine. And there are several um chapters in your in your book where you talk about um <clears throat> you know what the excuse me, what the some of these um side roads might be, you know, for um for us to wander in that yeah. early stage, you know, um, envy of others' spiritual practice, uh, you know, spiritual attainment, um, you know, thinking that we're um, more advanced than we really are. Um, could you talk a little bit about some of these um, diversions? Because I, I think, you know, when I read the book, I thought, oh, they're so familiar. And of course, the first the first, the first impulse of the ego when you read that, you know, is to think, oh, you know, I see, I see others doing that, right? <laughs> and then, of course, you know, the mirror is, is right there, you know, and we see, oh, oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So talk a little bit about that, about how we see some of these um, ways in which we get distracted in this first stage of our spiritual journey. Yeah, that's funny because I just posted on on Facebook this morning on my um, Facebook author page, which is Mirabai Star Author or something, uh, about a, a quote from John of the Cross about spiritual pride, and um, and I, you know, in parentheses, I put "ouch" because <laughs> I see myself in these things all the time, and 
you know, you, you described that you had gone back to this text now in preparation for our conversation today and how it has, how it had moved you years ago when you first read it. And that's true for me too. That, that's what makes these great mystical texts perennial because they continue to have wisdom for us, not only across the five centuries since St. John of the Cross wrote this book, but but in our own lives, year by year, you know, according to John of the Cross, the dark night of the soul is not one event that happens in our lives and, and transforms and fixes us, and then we get mm-hmm. on with <laughs> with the mm-hmm. path home to God. It's a it's a very subtle incremental deepening of of um, intimacy with God. That and on the, on the- over the- I, I was going to say, Mirabai, that on the yoga path, in terms of the map that we have of the soul's journey, um, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, there is the, um, the map that we have of the, of the soul's incremental, um, blossoming, you know, through the stages of awakening that are, you know, represented in the viewpoints of the chakras. Um, but there's also, of course, the, um, purification that comes, you know, through um, meditation and um, self-discipline and grace, that that is the removal of the samskaras, you know, those deep imprints um, in the mind, in the deep mind that are connected, you know, to the false self. Um, You know, so I, I was thinking about that as I was looking at you know, what is listed as these various trappings, you know, um, whether it's it's pride or jealousy or, you know, you do a beautiful job in the book of, of describing and, you know, these these little trappings that we have that we can... Yeah. Um, Guys, that's that's one, a wonderful correlation, yeah. Well, John of the Cross is actually the one who, who describes them. I just translate them, but... Uh, but he does do do a wonderful job, like spiritual pride, and and you've actually spoken about them: envy, um, greed for for more of those experiences of of spiritual sweetness and and connectedness, um, anger when it doesn't go the way that you think it should go, the spiritual path, or when other people seem to be thwarting you, or when you yourself feel that you have failed and you turn your anger. Upon yourself, these are what are known in the in the Christian tradition as the seven deadly sins. Um, mm. I did not translate them <laughs> as uh-huh. deadly or as sin, uh, but rather as imperfections. And I like your word, distractions on the on the spiritual path. And they can be very subtle and insidious. Mm-hmm. You know that, that those that kind of self congratulatory impulse that comes up when we think we've we've got it down after all these years of practice and study and, and commitment and willingness to sit in the fire. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I, I know how to do this now. And, and that's when it becomes the most dangerous. Yeah, and then it's really um, sort of crushing, you know, to, to look back on it. You know, there are things that arise like, you know, arrogance, um, arrogance. you know, where we think that we know more than our guru. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's, that's pretty harsh when you, when you go through it and then when you see it in hindsight. And, um, I also find the, the references to spiritual gluttony, um, mm-hmm. to be really helpful in terms of freeing us. You know, um, my guru has always been strong on, you know, what Paramahansa Yogananda taught him which is keep going, you know, through the blissful experiences. Don't get stuck there. Um, Because Paramahansaji had told him that many highly evolved souls actually get stuck in that stage um, because they're, you know, and he didn't say it in in terms of uh, being critical, but just observing this path of um, transformation that it's possible to get stuck there in that stage of divine love and bliss because it feels so good. Exactly. And you use the word purification and that's just what's, what's happening according to John of the Cross in the, in the dark night of the soul, you know, the Spanish mystics in particular, but Christian mystics in general talk about 
this path of purgation or the, the via negativa of the stripping away until we get to the essence of what is, which is our essential connectedness with God. And, and that purgation or purification process can be very painful, especially when we resist it. And mm-hmm. so, the, but the paradox of the dark night of the soul is that what we experience as darkness is actually unutterable radiance. And mm-hmm. that light is blinding and we're not, our regular eyes are not accustomed to perceiving that light and so it, we experience the, the radiance of the divine as, as darkness. So that the darkness <sighs> of the soul in and of itself is a paradox because it's not darkness at all. Uh, it's it's darkness to the, to the ego, really. Yeah. And, um, and to understand that this, this way of quote unquote suffering is not inherent in the journey itself. It, it doesn't come out of divine love or grace or, or the radiance, but it actually, we, we experience the suffering where we have those, um, places of resistance in us. And, um, you know, in yoga, we would call this the tapas, the, the, the burning of the discipline. And it is actually the letting go, you know, of those places that um, are resistant to um, the fullness of divine becoming. Uh, we're going to break again just for a couple of minutes and we'll be back to talk a little bit more about this dark night of the soul and healing. Remember uh, Mirabai's website is Star with two rs.com. We'll be right back with you. Daily Word, inspiration, and practical teachings to help people of all faiths live healthy, prosperous, and meaningful lives. My mind and body are in an ongoing conversation. My body responds to my thoughts, and my mind continually receives messages from my body, especially when something is out of order. However, I am more than mind and body. I am created in the image and likeness of God. I am first and foremost spirit. As I bring my spiritual awareness into the conversation between mind and body, I keep myself in balance. I know my body and its needs. I nurture it with food and water, rest and exercise. I also send an affirmation of life and renewal to every cell of my being. With spirit-centered thoughts, words, and actions, I claim my true identity as a whole and healthy expression of God, mind, body, and spirit. Daily Word magazine is now available in a digital format. To learn how you can subscribe to this online interactive magazine, go to www.dailyword.com. Notice how the funniest things happen when we stop taking ourselves too seriously and step out boldly? Listen to Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed as these unlikely saints administer a refreshing dose of laughter and love that will inspire you to step out boldly and experience the funniest things. Join the discussion with Daryl and Ed live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central Time on Funniest Thing, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. If you have a question, please submit it via email at the Yoga Hour at UnityOnlineRadio.org and we will respond. Now, back to the Yoga Hour. 
Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and today um, we're speaking with Mirabai Starr um, about the dark night of the soul. And, of course, you know, what is even more interesting about this work of St. John of the Cross, and as we look at our own spiritual journey, is really just when we think we've gone through the dark night of the soul, you know, we've had that period of dryness, and we've had that, all those kind of sweet delights of the first stage of the path removed and we and we kind of settle into a new uh, contemplative relationship just about that time we discover there is not one <laughs> movement to this purification but two and um, and as you say they cycle around but there's what uh, Saint John calls the dark night of the sense the first movement and um, and then really the night of the soul. So, Mirabai, tell us a little bit about those distinctions. Wow, I've never heard it so succinctly and beautifully put, Yogacharya. That was, that was so great. That's exactly right. You know, it's in the first night, the night of sense, as John calls it, uh, those, those spiritual attachments are kind of taken away, the attachments to the, to the feelings, that the sweet and juicy feelings um, are, are taken from us and we're, and we're plunged into a kind of aridity and and dryness which works which we could run from there are many ways to check out of that feeling you know just like with grief or any other uncomfortable life experience the impulse is to turn away and push it away or run away as fast as you can but um it john invites us to sit with that and and what you call that contemplative deeper contemplative relationship that can come from from just Staying with it, uh, and so for many people, that's that's where it ends. These these kind of dipping in and out of that night of sense of of sitting in the emptiness and then returning to the sweetness through spiritual practice, and it gets deeper and deeper. And that's enough. That's really enough for a deep, rich, connected spiritual life, mature spiritual life. But according to John, there is a deeper, darker night that can happen and doesn't always, you know, we spoke in the beginning about this connection or this relationship between self-discipline and grace, that, mm-hmm. that there's this kind of dance that happens in the soul between the hard work of the spiritual life showing up even when it's not comfortable and, and uh, motivating, and then the grace that comes when we have allowed our, our cup to become empty and the sacred flows in. Mm. That's the grace when mm. we've swept out the chamber and the beloved comes. Mm. So it's this, this kind of mutual thing. But the dark night, the second part of the dark night, the night of, of spirit, he calls it, is when not only are our sensory attachments ripped and taken from us, but our concepts, our <laughs> conceptual structure is dismantled so that we not only can no longer feel God in the sense or the sacred in the sense that we are accustomed to it, but we can't even conceive of mm-hmm. of the divine anymore. It, it mm-hmm. kind of none of the spiritual concepts make any sense. They all mm-hmm. feel like limitations and distractions, and they just feel wrong and and meaningless. And, and it, that and it's, is a great opportunity. It is, and it seems to me, you know, as I read his description, and again, I just, I bow to you in the way you have made this so accessible for readers today. Um, I, I just see, you know, the great sages, Ramana Maharshi, Paramansa Yogananda, you know, the ones that we, you know, are close by that we can see what it might look like when a soul has passed through that where they then are actually you can see you can and, and you can hear you know in in their witnessing in their writings um that they're not living from that lower level of mind anymore and um you know there's a direct relationship with reality that has come 
through this um, purification process and through, you know, the experience uh, in yoga, we, we would call it the higher samadhi, you know, nirvikalpa samadhi or asam prajnata samadhi, where it is beyond, you know, all concept. But then, you know, it's not like you uh, have to leave, <laughs> but it, there's a new way to live in, in which, um, f- uh, you know, what I can see in looking at these sage, sages anyway, how I imagine it is that there is that deeper joy uh, is a freedom from the constraints of uh, not only ego, but, you know, intellect. <sighs> oh, you speak so beautifully. I just, I love <laughs> listening to you. And, it, you know. and I, I love the connections you're making between this, this ancient, these ancient wisdom traditions, you know, the Christian wisdom tradition and, and yoga, and I think of the Advaita Vedanta tradition and, and the path of inquiry and neti neti. You know, every mm-hmm. time you, you ask the question, what is real? What is ultimate reality? What is the supreme? It's not this. It's not that. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a continuous willingness to allow all concepts and definitions to be, to, to fall away. And, you know, the, if we want to end on a practical note here, like how do, can our, our listeners here today relate to these teachings and connect them with, with their own lives? John of the Cross has really practical advice, which is that when you find yourself in a dark night of the soul experience, whether in the night of sense where your sensory attachments to the spiritual life fall away, or for some some rare, pretty rare people, a night of where the concepts themselves fall away and, and we just find ourselves in the formlessness. He says, don't meddle. Don't mess with this situation. Don't try to remedy your spiritual brokenness because you're actually, here's the paradox again, you're not broken at all. You are, you are essentially reconnecting restoring, as you, as you said, your, uh, your mm-hmm. true original wholeness. It's being restored unto you. And, uh, and he uses a beautiful analogy. Of, he says the ma- it's like God is the master painter who's painting our portrait because we're so beautiful. And mm-hmm. we're sitting there and we're wiggling and moving and we're, and we're like try- striking new poses saying, how about this, God, trying to... <laughs> <laughs> to interfere with the master's masterpiece. And mm-hmm. we're, what we're supposed to do in a dark night of the soul experience is be still mm. and allow the master to do her work. I'm using her just for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and not interfere. It's, you know, it, he also uses the analogy of, of, uh, of um, the weaning of Isaac. You know, that Abraham and Sarah are throwing a big party in celebration of Isaac's weaning. And little Isaac, meanwhile, is sitting in the corner screaming his head off, having a, a tantrum. And we tend to have spiritual tantrums when these dark night experiences come upon us. But it's really good news. We're going to be given what John calls the crusty bread of the robust because we're mm. ready. And it's so helpful, isn't it, to to have this witnessing uh, in this way, um, that, you know, what we sometimes experience as, um, uh, as a, a way of brokenness, uh, imperfection, um, uh, emptiness, all of that is actually this process of love, uh, transforming our lives. And, you know, that is, is so, beautiful you know i think of over the years you know my relationship to my guru and you know the tendency um you know if we just look at that relationship as a mirror you know the tendency to want to go to him and say you know i'm doing this this is how i'm progressing you know isn't this great (laughs) versus you know just saying oh you know um i'm i just feel like i'm totally missing the mark here um 
and the potential that that time, you know, when you're just so open and vulnerable can be such a powerful time for the soul, not for the ego, but for the soul, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a, if we can just come back to, you know, Socrates talked about it too, that, that the true, true life begins when we know that we know nothing and, and to, so the dark night of the soul experience, you're right, is so much about cultivating a relationship with the unknowable, about radical unknowingness, not about getting it and, and getting more and being able to, you know, um, congratulate yourself on, on your progress, but rather coming back again and again to resting in, in radical unknowingness so that we can, in fact, uh, free of our attachments the way we think this is supposed to be or feel or the sense mm. it's supposed to make, we can in, instead rest in a direct connection with the source of all that is. And that's only yeah. when we drop our own opinions on the matter that we're able to have that nakedness of oh. being. So beautifully said, and thank you so much, Mirabai, for being with me this morning, and I hope that our listeners have found this uh, conversation to be encouraging and inspiring. Uh, I know that that I have, and I just want to remind them they can find out more about your work and um, your wonderful books at your website, M-I-R-A-B-A-I-S-T-A-R-R.com, MirabaiStar.com. And uh, next week, I'm going to be uh, sharing with you as part of this series on healing, um, how to light up your life with yoga. And uh, for information about CSE, visit our website, csecenter.org. Remember to subscribe to Yoga Hour at iTunes. Tell your friends about it. We'd appreciate that. I look forward to being with you next week. Until then, remember to let your inner light shine into the world and to share your peace and your joy with everyone you meet. Thanks again, Mirabai. Thank you, Yogacharya. Thank you for tuning in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization. www.csecenter.org Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org. If I were brave, I'd walk the races where fools and dreamers dare tread and never lose faith. How is life working for you? Would it be okay with you if life got easier, simpler, yet more meaningful and vibrant? Join certified life coach Carla McClellan Tuesday afternoons for Vibrant Living. Each week, Coach Carla and her guests will share strategies and solutions designed to make your life more vibrant. Is there something in your life you'd like help with? A dream you'd like to achieve? A relationship you'd like to improve? Call into the show toll-free for Coaching with Carla. That's Vibrant Living, Life Coaching with Carla, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Central on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if we're all meant to do what we secretly dream? Inspiration only takes a moment. We invite you to consider these words from Unity author Charles Roth. Live deeply in the present moment. If you are going to work on the premise that real energy, real excitement... 
That feeling of being fully and enthusiastically alive comes from a source within you. Then it follows that you have to spend some time getting acquainted, being at home in those far reaches of inner space. Peace is power, for out of stillness, strength is born, and out of inner harmony, productivity flourishes. Rest in that inner peace. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Music Speaks Louder Than Words is an inspiring, informative, and fun hour of uplifting, heartfelt music and commentary that delivers a powerful message of love, joy, and oneness. It will keep you smiling and singing along. Your hosts, Reverends Dale Worley and Christy Snow, are alive with the Spirit of God and singing their love to you. Each Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. Central Time with Music Speaks Louder Than Words. Music, it's the only thing that the whole world listens to. Music speaks louder than words when you Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash IMDivine2022. 